0: Welcome to the Locked On Minnesota Twins podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. We're here today with Andy McCullough. Andy wrote at the Kansas City Star covering the Royals. He was the national baseball writer at the Los Angeles Times and joined the Athletic as a senior writer last summer. Andy, did I get your resume right?
1: Sure.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know there's much more. I that's the that's the uh, the furthest no. back I could find.
1: Yeah, no, I mean that's just a, it's a good summation of you know pissing away my twenties. Uh, <laughs> so
0: yeah. Hey, you got to cover the uh, the championship royals though, didn't you?
1: I did, yeah. The two years I covered the Royals, I went to the World Series, so that's pretty very, sweet. Yeah, very fortunate.
0: I go to Mizzou down there, so uh, I have some Royals gotcha. fan friends. Uh, I like Whit Merrifield and, and Hunter Dozier now, and hopefully they can start winning games here in the next couple of years. But not for the Twins' sake. You recently wrote with uh, Mark Carrig about the difficulties in starting the 2020 season, Andy. You and Mark discussed various issues with multiple health professionals. What were their main concerns with baseball's sixty seven page health and safety document, and can these risks be alleviated through discourse and amendment, or do you think there's just going to be always risk in whatever they try to do
1: i mean there's always going to be risk i mean again we're you know we're in the midst of a you know a global pandemic with a highly communicable deadly virus, and now uh, athletes do not exactly fit the group of people who are most susceptible to, um, you know, serious illness with coronavirus, but uh, they also can, uh, you know, they can spread it to people who might fit that category. And so there's real danger. And I think the folks that Mark and I talked to in the epidemiology and infectious disease world were, uh, had a lot of praise for the initial health protocol, said that there was uh, obviously, a lot of thought and care put into it, but at the same time, there were some flaws. I mean, the lack of daily testing is a, is a real issue. Um, you know, that that's kind of a catch-22 because uh, without daily testing, the risk of infection within the risk of an infection getting into the clubhouse environment uh, is stronger. And anytime a, an infection gets into the clubhouse environment, um, it becomes that much more likely that there would be an outbreak that would require, you know, a team to go under quarantine and the season effectively to shut down. Now, at the same time, uh, in order to get daily testing, there would be a sort of there are supply chain issues. Like it's unclear if they can get daily testing, get all the PPE and the swabs and the reagents and all of this material that is necessary to conduct that, and not siphon away resources from hospitals. And first responders and all that sort of stuff and so it's a you know it's like I said it's a catch-22 you either uh, have daily testing or and and are sort of draining resources from you know frankly areas that are more essential or you don't have daily testing and you're putting the players and the personnel at more risk of getting infected it's a you know it's, it's a real difficult conundrum but like it's it's not easy to play baseball in this situation I mean I can't go outside and get a haircut so why should we expect it you know we should be able to play a baseball season let alone play a baseball season where 30 teams are traveling it's, you know it's a really ambitious effort it's very difficult
0: I think as even as baseball fans and, and myself I have to continue to remind myself of that because this is just it really is unprecedented and I think that's the best way to put it never seen anything like it Uh, And they're going to try to do their best, Andy. But where do you stand right now on your optimism that they will be able to figure these things out? What's your feeling about it?
1: I'm pessimistic, I would say. Uh, I am – I really – it's hard for me to envision there being a World Series in 2020. That's kind of where I would – That's what I feel the most conviction about. Um, I think they're going to try and get all the financial issues hammered out. I don't really see that as being that big of an impediment. It could be. I mean, but I think there's just a lot of rhetoric being tossed back and forth to set up for CBA negotiations next year. I think the health and safety protocols, both sides are very serious about it. So it's possible they could get a plan in place that they can both sides can agree on. But I just think it's going to be. It's going to be really difficult to um, to you know, essentially play this season uh, at a you know at this at this time and avoid. You know, sort of a resurgence, a, a, a resurgence of cases. Uh, you know, among players, like an avoid an outbreak among players. I, I'm not rooting for that outcome by any means. Mm-hmm. But if you look at how the you know the virus works, I mean, and I and I also think you know some of these areas that are opening up, you know, states like Arizona and Texas and Florida. Um, and potentially Georgia, if the testing lag ever, you know, sort of gets fixed. I mean, uh, we're going to really see what the effect is of that. And so there might not even be a canvas necessary, uh, you know, canvas available for teams to play. It's just a, yeah, I, I'm pessimistic, I guess, it's hard to feel optimism about this. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I, I want to, I want there to be baseball. I cover baseball for a living. You know, mm-hmm. my company could theoretically, you know, eliminate my job if there's no baseball, that's not what I'm rooting for. But uh, at the same time, it's just, it's difficult to envision it being done in a way that's safe. Um, but I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I very badly want to be wrong.
0: A lot of hoops to jump through still. And there have for been sure. from the very beginning, you know, for, a, in a baseball way the, the teams that are hurt most are teams that were looking to win right now in 2020. And a team mm-hmm. you covered for a long time and, and a team that, that I talk about a lot, the Twins and the Dodgers are two of those clubs. Uh, there was a lot of overlap between these those two teams this offseason. Um you know with Kenta Maeda and Rich Hill and I want to ask you about both of them. But first sure. I do want to ask you about Mookie Betts because you wrote before he had even been traded in that fiasco trade, uh you know the three team mm-hmm. trade that the Dodgers were right. in the best position to sign him when he when he reached free agency do you think if there's no season andy does that increase or decrease his chances of of going in, or staying now in LA
1: yeah, I mean, I, I honestly have no idea because it's just so hard to know what the market's going to look like. Like, if there's no season, right, no mm-hmm. team is going to be offering him a $400 million contract. That, that contract just doesn't exist because all the teams are going to lose money, and, it, you know, no team is going to do that. So, the smart thing for Moogie Betts would be to take a one year pillow contract. Right, take right. a take a big one-year deal to springboard back in. The Dodgers, in theory, could offer that, but so could a lot of teams. I mean, the, you know, all, there's a huge difference between offering Lukey Betts, you know, a four hundred million dollars over ten years and one year forty million dollars or you know whatever it is. Right. So uh, I don't really know. I, it's just it's so hard to predict. I mean, before the pandemic hit. And you were looking at who are the teams who have money coming off the books uh, in 2021, who have a history of, you know, running big payrolls. Like the Dodgers really fit. I think the Astros made some sense. Um, but other than that, there just weren't a lot of teams that really had the uh, the resources and you know the, the the need to win in the immediate future. But now it's it's a total crapshoot. I, mean, I I have no idea what free agency will look like, even if there is a season, even if they play 82 games this year. Lukey Vucevic is not getting 400 million dollars. Like that market, the, the the free agent market just will not be there. So I don't know what happens.
0: I think that's a good point that we're going to see a lot of those pillow contracts. And we see that anyway because yeah. of the way that the CBA is set up uh, with like qualifying offers and things like that. But of Kent Maeda, who came over to the Twins in that deal, they got him in February mm-hmm. in, that, in that wild three-team trade. Andrew Friedman, president of baseball ops for the Dodgers, he told you, quote, we actually think there's more room for him to be better. And if he's able to take the next mm-hmm. step, not only do I see him in the rotation, I could see him potentially starting playoff games for us. What did you see, Andy? From Maeda and your time covering the team that might help him take that next step
1: well it's just a matter of him getting better against left-handed hitters um against right-handed hitters he is batter for batter as good as it gets in major league baseball I mean you kind of see it when he was used to relief in the postseason that you know he just destroys right-handed batters he's just a little bit weaker against lefties and so it's a matter of you know, changing up some sequences, um, you know, getting a little bit better command. His command is a little shaky from time to time. And so he walks too many lefties. Um, and just, you know, little things like I mean, it's dumb, but it's basically just like pitch better, mm-hmm. you know, like, like make fewer mistakes, make more quality pitches you know, uh choose your sequences a little bit better. And they were all just little things that, you know, one, I do think the Dodgers believed that there was more there for Maeda to give, but I think there was some lingering frustration on Maeda's part about how his contract was structured and the sort of yearly headache that he would have of being sent to the bullpen in the postseason. And I think if you look at the Dodgers rotation going into 2020, uh, especially with David Price coming on board, there really wasn't space for him to be starting in the postseason. And so it made sense for Maeda to get a shot to pitch, you know, get a shot basically to make his money, and pitch 25 to 30 times a year, start 25 to 30 times a year, rather than start, you know, 15 to 20, which costs him, you know, real money.
0: Yeah, it was the beauty of a trade, because the Twins needed uh, even just a mid-rotation arm who's going to start every fifth day, and he's going to do that for them. But you wrote about the Twins throughout Mm -hmm. the summer, and and you wrote about them a decent amount. What did you notice about the Twins front office and the Twins team compared to to when you covered or, you know, even saw them and and spoke with them during your time with the Royals when they were just god-awful?
1: Well, I mean, that that seems to be, they were kind of at the end of, like, uh, th- that period of Twins, they were kind of at the end of, you know, they hadn't had a GM from outside the organization in, you know, what, 20 years, 30 years? I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of had a real uh, continuity uh, that I think had probably run its course and, you know, obviously was very successful at various times, you know, two championships and uh, a bunch of good, Good, good teams in the in the 2000s and, you know, good jobs in the draft and all that sort of stuff. But it seemed like, you know, they, they were in need of uh, sort of new leadership. And it seems to me that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine did a pretty good job from the start of kind of rebuilding the infrastructure of the organization, you know, putting in uh, some sort of process. Like, I, I was fascinated that they have this, you know, kind of four-man council of uh, like retired mm-hmm. twins who they use in all these different ways you know mike cadire and toy honor and latroy hawkins and i think it was justin morneau was the yep. fourth one yep um and just kind of use these guys to like as a sounding board and to talk through things. And, you know, it was interesting, like, talking to Tad Levine about, like, hey, why did you do this? And he brought up, you know, there were a couple times in Texas where there was a gap between what the front office was saying and what players might be hearing. And so, you know, there was the example of when, you know, the Rangers kind of had an extended spat with Michael Young um, for several years. And it was like we wanted to basically have – you know, veteran players around who we could, who would just help us communicate in some ways, you know, so that like if, you know, the front office wanted to say something to a player on the roster, they could run it by, you know, Tory Hunter or Latroy or Mm -hmm. something like that. And be like, okay, so here's what I'm going to be hearing. If you say that to me and just little things like that, they would use that. You know, I, I thought that was really sharp. I thought obviously the, the acquisition of Nelson Cruz worked out, you know, as well as could have been expected. Um, I liked their off season, you know, this winter. I mean, I think they're, they are um, a pretty good modern team who has a really, really interesting base of talent and, you know, deserves kudos for being aggressive and trying to spend a little bit to bring in, um, you know, some players over the past couple of years, like Cruz and Josh Donaldson. I mean, I think it's a, you know, it's a fun team to watch. And, you know, I imagine it's a fun team to root for at this point.
0: Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever and the sponsor of this episode of Lockdown Minnesota Twins. Built Bars are tasty. They're a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors with nuts and without nuts. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Did I mention they're also healthy? Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. We have a peanut butter brownie and a mint brownie flavor for you at Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. This podcast is sponsored by the audiobook edition of 24, the life stories and lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influence responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author, John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. It is, but it was really hard for a long time, Andy. <laughs> it was hard. It, it yeah. was hard, and I think yeah. like this year was big for us because I couldn't remember the last time. I mean, I'm a, as a younger Twins fan, I couldn't remember the last time they were like seriously competitive. So it's been really fun to, is to have them back.
1: Starting pitchers who strike guys out, like, is that strange? Oh goodness,
0: yeah. We're used to like, like Brad <laughs> Radke. And, yeah, yeah. It's 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 been weird, but it's been so nice for us uh, as a change, yeah. and it feels like for the first time in a long time we can have a little bit of confidence in the front office moving forward and, and going yeah, out sure. and getting guys like Donaldson. But another thing they did this offseason, it flew under the radar a little bit. They signed him with Homer Bailey as your guy, Rich Hale, who you covered uh, for many years. Yeah. One year, 3000000 million, incentive-laden deal with the Twins, signed in December. I was surprised he signed with the Twins. I don't know if it was you or a different report that said he loves the big market. So when I saw he signed with the Twins, yeah. I was surprised, and I was also surprised that he didn't return to L.A., he almost has like an alter ego on the mound. But I first want to ask you, why do you think the Dodgers <laughs> didn't re-sign him? Were they pessimistic about his elbow or, or what was it? Or is it just because they didn't have a spot for him again?
1: I just, yeah, I don't know if they had a spot for him. Um, the Dodgers just have so many arms. I mean, you think about it, right? The Dodgers have, we just go through it real quick. They have Clayton Kershaw. Walker Mueller, David Price, Julio Urias, Alex Wood, uh, and then you get into Ross Stripling, uh, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin. I'm sure – you know what I mean? Like they they have like nine guys loaded up. And like Rich Hill, 100%, if healthy, should start playoff games if your team hopes to win in the postseason. He is is a tremendous batter-for-batter pitcher. In in four, five, six-inning stints, he's like – you know, lights out. He's a guy you want on the mound in a big game. Um, at the same time, given where the Dodgers were at in terms of innings, they just didn't have that many to give. And frankly, the Twins gave him a pretty good deal. I mean, you know, if if he had hit all of his incentives, I think he could have made like twelve million dollars or something yep. like that. And that that offer just wasn't coming from the Dodgers. They just weren't going to give him that much. And so, uh, I fr- I frankly I was surprised. I figured. He would come back to the Dodgers. Um, But I think his agents deserve credit for getting him a a deal that uh, was, you know, had a potential to be really, really lucrative. And the Twins, you know, kind of jumped on him. So um, it, it, it was a little surprising because Rich was a really important part of the fabric of the Dodgers clubhouse. He's someone who the players very, very much looked up to, but also just enjoyed being around. He's a, you know, he's a really, really, interesting guy someone who's been through a lot personally and professionally and had a way of connecting with You know, teammates, uh, you know, his age and guys who were, you know, 15 to 20 years younger. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was definitely missed around the Dodgers clubhouse this spring. But um, yeah, I mean, he's, I I thought it was, I thought it was the sort of move a team like the Twins should be making because it's, it's a really high upside, especially if you're trying to win in October.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Betsy Helfand, Pioneer Press, I had her on this week and she reported last week that, that Rich says he's going to be ready if they start in early July. So, Uh, hopefully, if they can figure all these things out, Rich can make ten to fifteen starts here down the stretch, and, and yeah. maybe in October. I to him
1: two days ago, he's working on a. He's got a garden going. He says he started. Oh. So uh, you know, <laughs> these are strange times.
0: Nice. Yeah. yeah, I want to. I want to ask you about because he's already made an impact. Uh, you know, like at Twins Fest, he was already being talked about as being a leader and and being. He's down yeah. to earth. I, w- I want to get from you, like verbatim. He's down to <laughs> earth outside of the field, but when he's on the field, what is sure. he like, Andy?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's the, you know, uh, his, they call him psycho rich (laughs) is his alter ego. Um, he is, he really does behave like a crazy person when he's on the mound. I mean, he was like, he's more irrationally crazy. I think than any athlete I've ever seen on the mound, you know, just like Mm -hmm. he'll, he's constantly, you know, screaming and cursing. I mean, you can, you know, if the stadium is quiet, and, uh, the, you know, you're playing in a park that doesn't – like the Dodgers played at Tropicana Field last year, mm-hmm. and you could just hear F-bombs. You know, just <laughs> I love that Arizona. video. I clicked on that
0: link from yeah. your article. It's just so great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's yeah, I mean, you know, uh there's so many good stories of like Rich coming into the dugout after giving up a home run and people sitting around him quietly and then they just hear him letting loose with a bunch of swear words and they have to run into the tunnels so they're not laughing at him. I mean you know, meanwhile it's just a, a, a mild mannered, you know, uh forty year old man, you know, who drives a Honda, you know, minivan back at his home in Massachusetts and um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the thing rich is, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I, we're not supposed to say anything, but the rich is my favorite guy I've ever covered. Um, you know, in 10 years in this business, just because he's very, very interesting and accommodating, he understands, you know, what the media is about, but also like he cared very deeply about winning. And I think that is something that sometimes you don't always see from people, Um and he just you know he's he's just got a fascinating story. I mean he's been should have been out of baseball ten years ago. He almost was out of baseball, you know, five years ago, and he remade himself and you know his his strategy on the mound is basically just throw curveballs as hard as possible and um, you know it's uh, he's just. It's, he's the sort of guy who veteran teams 100% can use. And if he's healthy, you want him on the mound in, in, on a playoff game.
0: You mentioned his, game. His, me. his want for winning and his, his drive for winning. Something that, interesting that happened in spring training, he was asked if he was going to talk to Marlon Gonzalez about 2017. And he said, oh, I don't know, I, I, I might get a, end up talking to him. And then I think Marwin said, oh, yeah, we talked. So Rich, he's very much just focused on winning. He doesn't want to deal with any of that background noise. And he had said the reason I signed with the Twins is I thought they gave me a good chance to win. So I think you're spot on there. He really wants to win. Before I let you go, Andy, thanks so much for coming on. But if we do have a 2020 season, let's just say hypothetically it happens. Who is the better team in 2020, the Dodgers or the Yankees and why?
1: I guess I'll say the Dodgers just because I would assume that in a 2020 season, a lot of guys are going to get injured uh, and you're going to need a lot of depth. And the Dodgers would have the best 50 man unit capable of, you know, plugging in when various guys go down. I think, you know, my, my thought going into the 2020 season was that, you know, yeah, the Dodgers and the Yankees were the two best teams, but Uh, I'm kind of, you know, even before the Yankees just all started getting injured during spring training, I was kind of out on their offense. I felt like there was a chance it wouldn't be all that great. Uh, So I, you know, I I thought it was going to be really interesting between the Yankees, the Astros, the Twins, and the A's kind of who emerged from uh, the American League. And now in this, you know, goofy three three division structure they're going to have where like the games are going to be weird. And I think a big thing is like, guys are just going to get hurt like that, mm-hmm. you know, and not like, you know, not like outside of uh, infections from the virus, but just hamstring strains and oblique strains and just all these nagging things because they're just not going to be ready. And so um, given the context of that, I would say that the Dodgers probably are the best team just because they have 50 really good players.
0: I, before I let you go, one more: the Dodgers' pressure. Because you, I feel like you would know. It's hard for us because you know we're not we're not close, and we're also not in the same league. But sure. what is that pressure like on the Dodgers for 2020 and even 2021? Because I know this offseason, you could feel that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah it's an interesting dynamic because um, you know the Dodgers have won the division seven years in a row. Um, they've had. You know, three, two of the last three years they went to the World Series. They were you know hundred win teams in seventeen and nineteen. Um, you know, LA is a weird market in that there is not. I think there's a there's not a lot of satisfaction with how things have gone in the last seven years, and there's a lot of talk about how you know, the playoffs haven't worked out and there's a lot of anger, you know, there was a lot of anger at you Darvish and Dave Roberts. And now there's a lot of anger at the Astros for cheating. And there's just, you know, there's just a lot of discontent, but Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, what, what is interesting about Andrew Friedman as a, as an executive is that he really does not spend a lot of time worrying about kind of the outside perception. I mean, he, has done so many things uh, as the president of baseball operations the Dodgers that fly against what fans want. I guess you know from the big picture, like the big picture stuff, of just like not re-signing Zach Greinke, mm-hmm. to you know the smaller stuff that pissed off diehards, like trading AJ Ellis. You know, like he is not afraid to do something that will lead to people criticizing him. Uh, whether it's you know uh, you know folks like us in the media, I mean, I spent basically all winter just ripping the shit out of the Dodgers, basically <laughs> just being like, "Hey, so uh, Garrett Cole, yeah. and Dodgers didn't sign him like a week past." Was like, "Hey, so Anthony Rendon, huh? how come he didn't do that?" And then like, "Hey, Madison Bumgarner," and the whole you know. When I would talk to Friedman, he just you know would be pretty calm and you know basically felt confident about his process and said they're going to keep working and explain that you know they've created this roster that has a really high bar for improvement and then all of a sudden in February they get rookie deaths and so they do things they do things that takes some into account kind of fan discontent but I don't think they really feel it on a material level I think they're going to do what they want to do and then as far as the players like I don't know. I, you know, I don't really think they feel that. I think that concept is, uh, I, I just feels a little antiquated for what, what the existence of players is like in, you know, 2020 is compared to like what it would have been, you know, playing on the Red Sox in 2003, you know, where you, there's like a, you know, you have the, the, curse you know whatever mm-hmm. um you know floating around you and it's something that people are always talking about like with the dodgers there is a lot of talk about 1988 but there's not that much you know mm-hmm. and the only guys who ever even mention how they're sick of hearing about 1988 it's like it's justin turner and clayton kershaw and that's because they've been there the longest you know right so um it's uh i i don't i think I know that's a really long-winded answer, but like I feel like there is pressure, but at the same time they don't act like there is. It's, it's a weird setup.
0: I think that's the right way to go. I think Friedman is continuing to emerge as one of the best young minds in the game, and uh, I thank you so much for coming on, Andy. Nah, he's,
1: he's old, man. He's forty-three. Oh, is he really? He's so
0: old. Oh my goodness! <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, he's got,
0: yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I thought I he, he was old. young. No, see that tells you no, what no, I know no, about he's the so old. Dodgers.
1: He's been a GM since 06. I mean, he's really old. Oh, my he's goodness. Why did
0: I think he was young? I need to do more uh, National League research, I guess. <laughs> it's all good. It's <laughs> Thanks so much, Andy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, and, right. and hopefully, uh, safely, baseball will be back when it's ready. Thanks again. Yeah, Likewise. Have
1: a good one.